0: Have your Bible this morning. Turn it to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe, as we all know here today, one of the things that the Lord wants in His church is unity, oneness of heart, oneness of mind, one voice. Declaring the glories of God. Unity is a part of our responsibility in walking worthy of the salvific call that was issued to us in Christ. In fact, if you recall in Ephesians 4, is there that Paul wrote that therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Though the church is made up of a diverse group of people, but though we are diverse, we all have one thing in common, and that is our salvation in Christ. But even in our salvation in Christ, there is still a diversity In the sense there is a diversity of gifts, there is a diversity of gifted people in the church by the Holy Spirit, there is a diversity of ministries in the church, and even in the diversity of those ministries and those gifts being used in the church, there is a diversity of effects on the body of Christ. But yet, even with those diversities, it is all from the same Spirit, it's all from the same Lord. It's all from the same God who works all things in all persons. So maintaining unity is something that God calls on us to do in the body of Christ, but it is something that we have to be diligent to work on and work together as a part of the body of Christ because we are all still sinners. And we were reminded of that in our study through the book of Philippians and Philippians 4, where a couple of weeks ago, if you recall, we were there in Philippians chapter 4 and looking at verses 2 and 3, where we saw that there were two ladies in the church, and these two ladies that had been very influential in the church and very valuable in the church were struggling in being united in living together in harmony in the Lord. So here it was, this gospel-centered, gospel-participating church where they were having some struggles in the church of all of the people getting along together. Some conflict had come or was beginning to take shape there in the church at Philippi. But what was interesting about it, if you go back to that for a moment and think back to it in your mind you remember that Paul did not indicate what the problem was. He didn't tell us what it was that was causing the division or the conflict between these two ladies in the church. And so that got me to thinking. It got me to go back and begin to read through the different epistles in the New Testament and begin to pick some things out that I noticed that were very clear Issues that were causing or had caused division or schisms or conflict in the church. So that's what I want us to do. I I want us to go through a series that I have entitled, United We Stand, Divided We Fall. And what we're going to see is there are some specific things in Scripture that we will see that if we're not careful at diligently fighting against, in our own hearts, in our own lives, it can cause division in the church. It can cause division, quarrels, splits, schisms, just disharmony in the church. There are about seven or eight of them that I, in going through and reading through God's Word over the past week or two, that I was able to kind of glean from. There's, obviously, there would be more that we could probably talk about. But this morning, I just want to address the first one with you. And we're going to find it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And that is unnecessary camps in the church. One of the things that can cause division or conflict in the church is when they begin begin to have unnecessary camps, that's the way I describe it, in the church. Whereas people are identifying in one group or another. This is what we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Pick it up reading with me in verse 10 where... Paul writes, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now what is the quarrel about? Look at verse 12. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am a Paul.'" And I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. So he reminds them, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? What we have here, Paul says, he has been informed that there are some quarrels that have led to some divisions here in the church at Corinth, whereby they have set up camps. There is the camp of Paul, there is the camp of Apollos, there is the camp of Cephas, and then there is the camp of Christ, which basically is saying, I don't even know if we even need a pastor or a preacher. And they're identifying under these men. They have set up camps, and who it is that they are identifying with. Well, what is happening here is what something I have seen happen and hear about quite often than what I would like to hear about. The church is making a mistake, is the church at Corinth does here. Where they're dividing themselves into the camps when it comes to the preachers or the pastors of the church. And what's interesting when you look at, let's just look at, think about these three men. In particular, we're going to look more at Paul and Apollos. But, I mean, if you look at who it is that they're trying to divide up under, it's not as though one of these men was more qualified than the other. You have Paul, Cephas, and Apollos. All three men were sound in their biblical knowledge. All three men were sound in their theology. All three men were servants at heart. All three men were shepherds of the people. All three men were expositors of the word of God. They were expositors of scripture. So what is it that the people at Corinth would have been looking at whereby they were Moving into little camps. Wanting their own little camp there in the church. What is it that they would have been looking at in regards to these three men? In particular, Apollos and Paul. Well, I think there were two things that they would have been looking at. One would have been their preaching, and the other would have been their personalities. Their preaching and their personalities. And what you're going to glean from this, beloved, is that the main problem if why it is they moved into these camps that had caused division and quarreling in the church in regards to the preacher, the pastor of the church, was because they had gone beyond Scripture. They were now identifying in certain ways where they had gone beyond Scripture because, again, it's not because they were saying, Paul, you're not qualified, only Apollos is. Or they weren't saying, Apollos, only Paul is qualified, you're not qualified. That wasn't the issue. And it also, when we look at these two, let's just start with the preaching. Now let me first say what it was not. They were not... Saying, or they were not struggling or identifying because of the substance of the preaching of these three men. There there were no differences there. And what I mean by that is, is when you look at all three of these men, and we can go back and read in other places in Scripture, especially in the book of Acts, and you will notice, if you're talking about Peter, Peter was a man that was effective in preaching the gospel, of explaining the word of God. You can go back to the day of Pentecost. It is Peter that stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ that day and it is thousands that are getting saved. It is Peter, what the primary apostle that spoke usually for the other apostles that the people were sitting there devoted to the apostles teaching. It was Peter who was called to go to the house of Cornelius where there he preached the gospel and Cornelius and all his household got saved. So it wasn't the message or the substance of what Peter was preaching that was different than Paul or Apollos. You could go back and in fact if you will for a moment go back with me just for a moment to the book of Acts and go to Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18 we're introduced to this man by the name of Apollos. And we notice in Acts 18, in verse 24, he is a man that is mighty in the Scriptures. He's mighty in the Scriptures. We see in verse 25, he is fervent in spirit. He's speaking and teaching accurately of everything he knew at that point, the things concerning Jesus. Now, he needed some more knowledge at that time, and he had Priscilla and Aquila that helped giving that. Because they take him aside there. But this man is someone, and he goes on to say about him there in verse 27 and 28, he is one that was able when he arrived, he, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Apollos was a man just as Peter that was effective in preaching the gospel, handling the word of God. Obviously with the church at Corinth, you're there in Acts chapter 18. You go back, it is Paul that first comes there. Look in verse 1. He left Athens and went to Corinth. And he's there preaching the gospel with them, reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. He was devoting himself, verse 5, to the word solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And there are people that are believing and there are people that are believing that are being baptized. You go down to verse 8 of Acts chapter 18 and when they heard, they were believing and being baptized. Many of the Corinthians. So the problem again, it wasn't as though they were saying, well, the reason why we identify with Paul and not Apollos and Cephas is because Paul, the substance of what Paul was preaching, the message that Paul was preaching was better or different than what Apollos and Peter were preaching. You know, beloved, it wasn't the substance of it. They were all teaching accurately. They were all mighty in the Scriptures. They were all three depending on the Holy Spirit. But what was different was not the message that they were preaching, not the substance of what they were preaching, but the manner, the style of their preaching. The style of it. If you're still there in Acts 18, let's just just compare and contrast because Paul tends to, as he goes on later in the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll notice he drops... Peter off, and it's just it's just Paul and Apollos that are mainly being compared. And notice, if you will, go back with me and look in Acts chapter 18 in verse 24 what it says about Apollos, that he was a man, he was an eloquent man, foreign in spirit. And when it speaks about him being an eloquent man, he's saying that Apollos there had the ability to communicate whereby he could use his words and weave his words in such a way and telling the stories and and speaking the truth. He was eloquent in how he was able to do that. He was a master communicator and using his words. That's what he's speaking about there, that he was an eloquent man, fervent in spirit. The style and the manner in which he came there and delivered the message. But when it came to Paul, Paul says even to them over in 1 Corinthians 2 that when he got there, he approached them in a very simple style. That he was intentional about that. That he was just going to come in there to preach to them Christ crucified. And he even says whenever he came to them, he came to them in weakness, fear, and trembling. In fact, just to help you see something, go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a moment. 2 Corinthians 11 and look down with me at verse 6. Paul is defending his apostleship to them. And he says there in verse 6, but even if I am unskilled in speech. Now, Paul is making reference to that because it seems as though that's what the church at Corinth maybe was saying, some were saying about Paul. And by saying the unskilled in speech, he's not, he doesn't mean there that he was unskilled in the handling of the Word of God. I mean, Paul was a master of, at handling the scriptures. Paul was a master in that sense uh, at preaching the word of God. Paul was someone who had diligently studied to approve, make sure he was approved by God and how he handled the Bible and handled it accurately. Paul was skilled. In fact, if you remember, Peter even mentions in one of his epistles, he says, Paul teaches some very deep and difficult things to understand. It wasn't because Paul was some shallow preacher that he was unskilled. And the idea here then, them being unskilled is though when they look and compared him to someone like Apollos, he just didn't seem to be a skilled presenter of the Word of God. He was a simple man and how he was presenting things to them compared to Apollos. And this is what the folks were beginning to quarrel about in the sense that they began to, to, to establish camps in the church. Thinking in this way when it came to the preacher, the preaching of the Word of God. Looking at the style, looking at the manner in which it was being delivered. Let me say another thing that they would have been looking at in the preaching. If you go back with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you're going to find that something else that they seemed to be dividing about when it came to their preaching was the significance, the significance of that individual preacher's preaching in their life. That is, the significance it had had on their life. Because if you go back to chapter 1, Notice what Paul follows up with this about. He says, look, verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christmas and Gaius so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. So see, you notice what he says. He says, some of you are saying I'm a Paul. And then now down here he says, and no one would say you were baptized in my name. So what was happening? What was happening is, again, they're going beyond Scripture. They're going beyond Scripture in that they are attributing the significance of the ministry that Paul had in their life, or Apollos had in their life, or Peter had in their life. They're attributing that to those men. It's though it was those men who did that. It wasn't Paul, it wasn't Apollos, it wasn't Peter, it was God. And that's what they were missing. That's why Paul says, look, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize some of you because some of you would be identified with me as though it was was me who actually died for you. It was me who actually saved you. It wasn't. It was Christ. Those that were more impacted by Paul were more loyal to Paul. Those who had been more impacted by Apollos were loyal to Apollos. They were starting to give credit to the preachers instead of God. That's why Paul picks this back up. Go over to chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians. Go over to chapter 3. Where he says, they're they're acting like mere men. They're, they're, They're acting like unbelievers. Verse 1, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, and here he is, he picks it back up what he said in chapter 1. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? That is, you're acting like mere men. You're looking at things the way the world looks at things. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants. just servants through whom you believe even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Notice what Paul is trying to get across to them. He's wanting them to see that, look, all we were were servants. And Apollos and I are on the same team. Here you are dividing up as though we're on different teams. We're not. We're on the same team. And the only difference between the significance and impact that our ministries may have had on you personally was not because of who we were, It's because of God. God gets the credit for that. Maybe I was just the one God was using to plant something in your heart and in your life, but now he brought Apollos in and through that watered it and now there's growth. Now there's salvation or now there's more sanctification taking place in your heart and in your life. That's why it goes on to say, look down at the end in verse 21. So then let no one boast in men. For all things belong to you, and whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, the things present or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Verse 1, chapter 4. Let a man regard us in this manner. He's saying, look, he's trying to correct their thinking Because they're not thinking rightly and because they're not thinking rightly in regards to preachers and the significance of their ministry, it has caused division and quarrels and strife and jealousy in the church. So he says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants. We are just servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself for I am conscious of nothing against myself yet I am not by this acquitted but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Paul is saying, Look, you just need to regard us whoever it is that is your pastor or your preacher, he's telling the church at Corinth, just regard that man just simply as a servant of Christ who's been given a stewardship from God as a pastor, a leader, a preacher in the church. And that's all he is. He's just a servant, a servant shepherd under the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul understands he, he's not denying the fact that if, if someone has had a significant impact in your life, in the, in the years that they've spent preaching and teaching you the Word of God, that that person's going to have a special place uh, in your heart. If you recall over in the book of Acts, whenever Paul called to himself the elders and the leaders of the church at Ephesus, and he told them that he wasn't going to be able, most likely to see their face again, they wept. I mean, these men were crying and weeping because Paul was so near and dear to their heart and they loved Paul and they wanted Paul to be able to come back and to be with them and to preach and to teach and to spend time with them. Paul understands, even as he says in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, that those men that work hard at the preaching and teaching of the Word are to be honored with double honor. Paul understands that. But don't go beyond Scripture. As he says to them here, don't go beyond what has been written, he says there in verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in, in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Don't go beyond that. Stay within the confines of what the Word of God is saying. So you see, they they begin to divide into camps in regards to the preachers because they were looking at the style of their preaching and they were looking at the significance of their preaching on their life. But secondly, it wasn't just the preaching. When you look at Paul and Apollos, I believe you also would have noticed there was a difference in their personalities. A difference in their personalities. As you look back there in Acts 18, you see, I mean, here, Apollos seemed to be a man, as it says, he was mighty in the Scriptures. He was a man that was fervent in spirit. A man that would have been impressive to the people. But notice about Paul. Go back with me now to the book of 2 Corinthians again. And go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 10. Here's what some of the people at Corinth were saying about Paul. Verse 10, chapter 10, 2 Corinthians. For they say, his letters are weighty, his letters are strong, but his personal presence, is just unimpressive. And his speech is contemptible. Paul had a different personality. They were not impressed with the presence of Paul. They were not impressed with him. They were not impressed with his personality. And this is what they're expressing. That he seemed to be much stronger when he was writing things to them than he was when he was there in their presence. So this is some things that they're, again, he's just indicating some things that they are discussing, they're talking about, that they're struggling with. And these are things that we can learn from, beloved, so that we as a church, churches, there are sometimes just people in the church who can go too far, that is they go beyond what is written as far as qualifications for a pastor. You find it oftentimes when a church is looking for a pastor. If you ever pull up some of the want ads and look at some of that, I mean, it's all kinds of things that are listed. We want someone young, energetic, charismatic, personal, outgoing, entrepreneur, somebody who's hip, all these kind of things. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. And even for the man to remain as the pastor, nowhere in Scripture does it say that. No, beloved, what what every church should want And what every church should cherish and what every church should hold on to is when they find a a man or they find pastors and leaders in the church who have character, godly character, they have competence in the Word of God and they had the capability then to open up the Bible and really teach and feed and refute and be able to explain the Scriptures. What they should want is somebody, as Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 4, That all that is required is that that steward who is the servant of Christ is trustworthy. Is this man trustworthy? And obviously, Apollos was trustworthy. Peter was trustworthy. Paul was trustworthy. Now, I understand even, I mean, churches have to be wise even whenever a man may have the character and he may have, be competent in the Word of God, but, but even in looking at his capability of, of preaching and teaching and explaining the Word of God, especially uh, when you're looking at the, the, the history and, the, and the, the pastors that have been there before. I just thought, As I thought about this, I thought about something that... Uh, Grace Community Church is gonna have to face at some point here in the years coming in their life where this is where John MacArthur is the pastor. He's been the pastor there coming up this spring for fifty years. Fifty years at the same church. Now can you imagine who's gonna be the guy that follows him? Now, obviously, he's been there for 50 years. He's taught through every New Testament book of the Bible to them at least once, verse by verse, passage by passage. He's taught through many books of the Old Testament to them. The depth of his knowledge and his capability to be able to explain the Word of God. So, and what I'm saying is, yes, that church would be wise that when he leaves, you don't bring a guy in there that has about a year of experience in pastoring. A year of experience and competence and being able to explain the Word of God, that would be unwise on their part. So I'm not saying there aren't some wisdom principles there that if a church church is used to somebody going this deep into the Word of God and explaining it to them, and then they're without a pastor, it probably wouldn't be wise to bring in somebody who goes about like that. They're going to struggle with that. But ultimately what you want to see here when you put these things together and what Paul was trying to get across to the church at Corinth is don't go beyond the Scriptures. Because when you go beyond the Scriptures, you start getting into camps that are unnecessary. It should be that it's just more important to every church. They have a skilled man who's skilled at handling the Word of God, who is trustworthy because he has character, he's competent, he is capable. That's what God requires. That's what God wants. And that's what the church needs to make sure that they're looking at the character of the man? And, does, and will He feed our souls week after week the Word of God? You say, well, how can we have that? How can churches make sure they don't move into these kind of camps? Well, you can go back to what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 1. In verse 10, he says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but but that instead of divisions, here's what you need. You need to be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. That is, you have to work hard, and this is something we've been touching on from Philippians. You have to work hard at being at the same mind. Having the same mindset, the same opinions, the same agreements. Now what is it, when well, you stop and think about it, even of if a, if a church of our size, uh, what is it that we can all have agreement on? Well, it's not going to be over preferences. We're not necessarily going to all agree on preferences. But we can all agree and come to the same mindset and be of the same opinion and same agreement if we're all looking at the standards in Scripture. If we stay with the standards in Scripture and our minds are being renewed by the Scripture and our minds are being conformed and shaped to think the way the mind of Christ thinks, then that's how we come to have that same opinion, same agreement, same judgment, same mindset. So how can we do that? Well, let me just give you some practical things here very quickly. Practical practical things for all of us, and then some practical things even especially for me as the pastor practical things for all of us would be this one that we are all united in praying for our mindset that we're all united in praying to have the same perspective even in this area about what it is that we look for and look at when it comes to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Also that we're united in praying for the pastors, the leaders of the church. That you're also united in preparing each week. United in preparing each week. If we're all working to prepare our hearts and our mind to come here every Sunday to hear the Word of God, Thus, as we've been looking at on Wednesday nights, we're talking about that in the, from the book of James, in James chapter 1, where he t- tells them about receiving the Word. How is it that we all can be united and have the same mindset when we come here to receive the Word of God? It's if we're all approaching the Word of God the same way. If we all have the same attitude towards the Word of God. If we're all applying the Word of God. If we're all accepting of the Word of God. If we're coming united in preparation... You see, you have a responsibility every week before you get here. And that is to prepare yourself before you walk in these doors. You prepare yourself to come in here and to hear what God has to say. Just as I have a responsibility to prepare myself to come in here and say it. And say what it is God's calling on me to say. So yes, I would say as far as application for me personally as a pastor, it would be to prepare. That I need to prepare so that what I come to share is the message that is what God's Word is saying in teaching. But secondly, an application for me would be to also be faithfully praying for you. Praying for your receiving of the word. Praying for your unity. Praying for your perspective. Praying about your mindset. But thirdly, it also requires of me in application to this to be learning who you are more and more. Every week. Every month. Every year. Learning who you are to better minister, preach, teach, Shepherd. And obviously it also requires of me to be found trustworthy. Trustworthy in how I handle the Word of God and how I present it, how I share it, that I need to be found trustworthy. So this is how the church at Corinth needed to come together. They had divided up in their church because they had a different mindset when it came to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And it's not—it's because they weren't all looking at the same standard. They were all looking at their own standards. They were all looking at their preferences in those areas that we talked about. The preferences of the personalities, the preferences of the preaching in regards to style and its significance in their life. Instead of looking at the trustworthiness, the preparedness, the message of what it is that is being shared. And this is what God's Word calls on us to do and to maintain here in the body of Christ. So, beloved, I hope that you will take this and think through this in your own heart and your own life and and always just ask God to help you to stay within the, the bounds of Scripture. To stay within the bounds of Scripture. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.